This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. For many, death is a source of great anxiety. We can't comprehend what awaits us on the other side, and so we worry about what's going to happen to us in the afterlife. For others, death is a comfort. American artist and poet Joe Brainerd once jokingly wrote, Death has a very black reputation, but actually, to die is a perfectly normal thing to do. And he was right. Death happens every day, and eventually it happens to every single person on Earth. Yet we still fear it. Not Sarah Bernhardt, though. She not only was unafraid of death, it influenced how she lived her life. Henrietta Rosine Bernard was a French actress born in 1844, although she changed her name for the stage when she was around 18 years old. Her mother was a courtesan with many powerful clients, such as dukes, politicians, and other high-powered individuals. Bernhardt took to the theatrical lifestyle from a young age. Her mother sent her to boarding school when she was seven. It was there that she starred in her first play. She took on the role of a fairy queen who dies, a chance for her to embrace her dramatic side. Three years later, she began attending a convent school in Versailles, again performing in theatrical productions. She even considered becoming a nun for a short time until her father's death in 1859. At the suggestion of one of her mother's clients, Bernhardt pursued acting more seriously. This surprised her, as she had never considered the theater as a career before. Over the years, she studied with talented actors of her time, building up her theatrical skills. One of her first acting coaches was recommended to her by one of her mother's clients. Oh, his name, by the way, was Alexander Dumas, author of The Count of Monte Cristo. With enough training, Sarah was able to reach the Théâtre Francois, with whom she performed for a year, although it was not meant to last. She had invited her sister Regina to join her in an important event. In attendance was the theater's leading actress, Zare Natalie Martel, otherwise known as Madame Natalie. Regina accidentally stepped on Madame Natalie's gown, which infuriated her. Madame Natalie shoved Regina backwards into a stone column and caused her to cut her forehead, prompting Sarah to step in on her behalf. She screamed at the older actress, getting so heated that she slapped her in the face. Sarah was told to apologize, and she refused. She had had enough of Madame Natalie and the Théâtre Francois, and left the company shortly thereafter. It didn't impact her opportunities, though. Bernhardt spent two years at another theater, the Gymnase, after which she moved on to the Odeon. Her career had quite the upward trajectory, in fact, with the actress going from minor roles to understudy all the way to the leading lady. She earned rave reviews for her dramatic performances, which extended beyond the stage. 
As it turns out, Bernhardt was pretty dramatic behind closed doors as well. For example, she slept in a satin-lined coffin in her bedroom by her window. She often laid in it while studying a new role and even slept in it overnight sometimes, despite there being a huge, unused bamboo bed right in the middle of the room. But no matter how high she climbed, or how strange her behaviors got, Sarah never forgot about her family. She and Regina remained quite close, so when Regina came down with tuberculosis, it was Sarah who took care of her. She had her sister come live with her, allowing her to rest in that big bamboo bed in her bedroom. Sarah chose to sleep in her coffin instead. One day, a manicurist had come to treat the actress's hands. Regina urged the woman to come in quietly as her sister was sleeping. The manicurist turned to the armchair where she believed Sarah to be resting, but instead saw her unconscious body in the coffin. The woman ran out of the room, screaming. After Regina passed away from her illness, Sarah had her sister's coffin placed in the bedroom beside her own, until the undertaker could come and retrieve it. On the day he and his men arrived, they entered the room and found two coffins side by side. The master of ceremonies immediately called for another hearse, believing that he was dealing with two dead bodies, and not just one. The men had just begun moving Sarah's coffin when she suddenly arrived home, much to their surprise. She'd just been tending to her mother when she walked in on the undertaker's men hauling her coffin away. The second hearse was dismissed, and her sister's coffin was taken as intended. Unfortunately, the papers got wind of the incident, and Sarah was criticized for her eccentric behavior in the press. To Sarah Bernhardt, death was a part of life, rather than something to be afraid of. She embraced it, and made it a part of who she was. To her, it was normal. As normal as sleeping in a satin-lined coffin. And that, my friends, is curious. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com 
to start living yours. Let's get into it. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The ocean can be unpredictable. One moment it's calm, the waters gently lapping against the sides of your boat. The next, clouds overhead have darkened and the wind is stirring the waves, tossing your vessel around like a ragdoll. Countless ships and their crews have been lost at sea. In September of 1991, a commercial fishing boat called the Andrea Gale left Gloucester Harbor, Massachusetts. Its captain, Frank Tyne Jr., had cast off for eastern Canada, but there were no fish to be had there. Instead, he traveled east to the Flemish Cap. He thought the fish situation might be better. Unfortunately, a nor'easter had moved into their position. It boasted 56-mile-an-hour winds and gusts as high as 75. Due to the strange confluence of conditions that aided in its formation, it became known as the Perfect Storm. The Andrea Gale was last heard from on the evening of October 28th of 1991, before the ship and its crew of six, including Captain Tyne, were lost forever. The ocean is not something to underestimate. It can turn on you in an instant, just like it did for Nigerian cook Harrison Okene. In May of 2013, Okene was working on a tugboat off the coast of Nigeria with 11 other crewmates. They and several other boats had been contracted by Chevron to stabilize one of their oil tankers. Okene's tugboat was called the Jaskin 4. It was painted bright red and white, easy to spot among the blue expanse of the ocean. With its tow cable attached to the tanker, the Jaskin 4, along with the rest of the boats, puttered along the Gulf of Guinea. Early in the morning of May 26th, before anyone else was awake, Okene got his day started. How he'd been able to sleep at all was a mystery, as the Jaskin 4 had been bobbing along the rough waters of the Atlantic for some time. The waves were choppy, and the cook had settled into the latrine to take care of his morning business. Meanwhile, the other 11 members of the crew were fast asleep, their doors bolted behind them. It had been part of their security protocols. Pirates in the area had been known to board vessels and rob them, or kidnap their crew for ransom. On this morning, however, pirates were the least of the Jaskin 4's problems. The ocean churned, kicking up a massive wave that struck the tugboat on its side. It capsized, and the hull filled with water. Within minutes, the Jaskin 4 had slipped beneath the waves for good. Several crew members attempted to escape through a hatch leading to the deck, but the rush of water swept them out to sea instead. Harrison, meanwhile, struggled to get his bathroom door open. The pressure from the water on the other side was strong, but he finally did it, only to be carried down the hall to another bathroom. He had to hold on to one of the sinks to keep his head above water. The boats eventually came to a rest upside down on the sea floor, 100 feet below the surface. Back up top, a rescue mission was called immediately. Divers spent a whole day attempting to reach the wreck. They knocked on the hull and waited for a response. 
but nobody could hear Okene knocking back or yelling for help. He was trapped. Taking a bold risk, he swam out of the bathroom in pitch-black water into the engineer's office where he found another pocket of air. This was a bigger space with more room for him, but there was a new problem facing him. Hypothermia. The water temperature was freezing, and Okene was only wearing a pair of boxer shorts. If he didn't think fast, he would lose consciousness and die before anyone found him. He was able to locate a mattress, which he fashioned into a flotation device with the help of some of the engineer's tools and the wall panels around him. He also found cans of Coca-Cola to stave off thirst. Okene sat there waiting, waiting for the oxygen to run out, for the water to fill up the room, for hunger or thirst to catch up with him. And then, out of nowhere, he heard knocking outside again. He banged on the walls and shouted, but still no one was able to hear him. The Jaskin Forest parent company had sent a salvage team to recover the bodies of the lost crew. They spent an hour cutting their way through the interior of the boat, then searched room by room for bodies. Okene caught a flash of one of their head torches as a diver entered the engineer's office. The diver grabbed his outstretched hand. He didn't expect it to grab back. Frightened, the diver soon realized what he was dealing with. Someone had survived the sinking. Okene thought that he'd been only down there for 12 hours, but he couldn't believe what he was told. It took some careful planning to bring him home safely to the surface, but after 60 hours at the bottom of the ocean, Harrison Okene was finally free. Once he returned home to his family in Nigeria, he found another job as a cook. This time, though, he made sure that it was one that he could do on dry land. He was never going to step foot on a boat again, and I don't think any of us could blame him. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.